Hello, America. <coughs> Sorry, today's the big, uh, the big uh, coronavirus uh, show. <coughs> Um, and that's uh, that's on tonight at 9 p.m. If you have to be listening to this on Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, you can watch it on Blaze TV or you can watch it live on uh, YouTube. And you did some real research for this. You actually got the coronavirus, which I thought was real dedication. Yeah, well, you know, hey, I wanted like. to take a quick cruise mm-hmm. uh, in Japan. and uh, To Cambodia. Uh, to Cambodia. There's <laughs> yeah. nothing like Cambodia this time of year. So anyway, we, we talk about it in the podcast. Some of the things that you don't know and some real concerns that have nothing to do with health, although the health things are really scary. Also, Bloomberg versus uh, Sanders, um, the, uh, the the actual numbers of what's happening in the economy. We have a woman who wrote a great article for um, for Medium.com uh, where, where she went to a Trump rally. She was somebody six months ago who said all people who voted for Trump are racist or, or deplorables. I think one of the weirdest experiences of her life was being on my program. She considered herself a liberal. She went to a Trump rally. Wait until you hear that. And my favorite segment of the day, what the hell is this story all about? All on today's podcast. And remember, tonight on Stu Does America, where you should subscribe, rate, and review, please, on YouTube and podcast. Uh, we have uh, uh, we go into the pardon situation with uh, with Donald Trump. Should we actually have pardon power for our president? Uh, that's uh, one part. And, and the other thing is we have Aubrey Huffon, who is a you know major league baseball all star, San Francisco Giant World Series champion, who is not being allowed to attend the reunion because he likes Donald Trump too much. We'll get into that as well. And Stu does America. Go to stewdoesamerica.com to subscribe. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Oh man, I've got some great stories on Bloomberg. We have to get to this guy. This guy's amazing. He's a never-ending wealth of just crazy stories. Opposition researchers' oh, dream. He is. Mm-hmm. He is. I mean, if if the left was like, we can beat Donald Trump. At being a scumbag, you win. <laughs> you win. Um, all right, let's uh, let's first go to Jason uh, Buttrell. He's our our uh, chief researcher and head writer for the Glenbeck program. Uh, and this is uh, the Wednesday night special tonight at nine p.m. You can find it live and on demand at the Blaze, beginning at nine p.m. tonight. Uh, and um, and you can also watch it. I think just live on uh youtube the blaze youtube channel so you can watch it there if you have a friend who's like i don't subscribe to the blaze there's a great opportunity for them to see why they should if they miss it or if you miss it you can only find it on demand at blaze.com for members only because you guys are the ones who have made all of this research possible for two weeks i've had him in a bubble uh the coronavirus bubble and researching everything and jason was a good guy to put on this because he was very skeptical at first he was skeptical of i don't think this is a big deal um and we both were and where we've come out on the other end of this is i'm not sure i i think it is a big deal and i'll explain in a minute but i'm not sure that this is something to write off or something to panic about it is something just to watch closely Usually the topics you give me, I'm like, it's 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 hard because the people that we're researching are 
trying to withhold information. Yeah. So I, it takes forever to try to dig out documents or whatever. Right. But when we talk about coronavirus, it's like, oh, great. It's, this is going to be easy. You know? <laughs> but I'm finding China. What's weird is it's almost like looking into a George Soros organization. Yeah. Looking into the coronavirus. This mm-hmm. is how it's been. Mm-hmm. Because they're just withholding so much information. And that's what how I've come out of this. So I'm thinking, like, you've seen the outbreak and Dustin Hoffman running around saying, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. we got to find patient zero and ground zero and mm-hmm. isolate that area. Right. Well, I don't think they have any freaking clue who patient zero is and where ground zero is. Yeah, they, they, there's two things that people are saying. It came from bat soup. We're pretty sure it didn't come from bat soup. Um, however, it, it, it could have come from this market. I mean, I really think that, you know, if, if we're depending on supply lines, hey, uh, just want to General Motors, Apple, you know, you probably shouldn't put your manufacturing sites in a place where they have an open market where bats are crapping on camels and camels are, you know, crapping on salamanders and they're all in cages, one on top of each other. That's a bad idea. Every single ma- major outbreak that's come out, SARS, a couple of other flus, they've all come out of China. So right. who was the executive was like, that's where I want my factory. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we got to do it there because, <laughs> man, you get a great bowl of hot bat soup. <laughs> uh, so so it, it may have come from them, but they don't think so. We don't think that it came from a bioweapons lab because it's, it's, it's a natural virus. It's too chaotic to be something that they made in a lab. It has no markings of a, of a lab uh, virus. May have been studied at that lab there in uh, in Wuhan, but was not made in that lab. That's not to say it didn't come out of that. Right. Uh, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. I mean, the, 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 I looked at the study, and it's re- pretty alarming, actually. Of all the cases, and this is back when they first were looking into this, when I think it was like around 90 people ha- had contracted at that time. They looked at all 90 cases, and they said, okay, we've uh, there's a vast majority, yes, we're in that, f- that food market, but patient zero did not catch it there. So he infected someone else. That person walked into that food market, and that's when it started. So here's, here's what you need to know. We are talking tonight at uh, 9 o'clock. Uh, we have a segment towards the end of the program where I talk to somebody who is in quarantine. He's a doctor uh, from China. He's American, but he was in China right there, uh, and he's in quarantine right now. And we Skyped into his... Into his uh, his his secret lair uh, and talk to him about what it was, what it was like there, what the concerns are. And his biggest concern is that the mortality rate on this may be low. Right now it's at two, uh, meaning two out of every hundred people will that get it will die. That's about the, the rate of the Spanish flu. Um, and the regular flu has a 0.1 death rate. He said, you know, even if this has a 1% death rate, that's a lot worse than the flu. But the problem is, is this is so easily spread that it could affect 60, 70 million people. And if, if it only affects 40 million people around the world, that's a, that, that's a number of 65 million people that will die this season Remember, this is a flu. The flu that you normally get is the strain of the 1918 flu. So we keep we keep fighting the 1918 Spanish flu every year. There are different flus that come through, but that's the main 
basis of the flu that we have. So this flu is not going away. And if it mutates, it gets more deadly. It's horrible. If it just stays this way, it could kill 65 million people every single year. And I I don't know whether to trust. That's why I'm so confused on this entire thing because what they're saying the fatality rate is they're what they're saying it's two percent i don't even think i can trust that because what, the data that we've looked at if you just go off of what like let's uh, we, we we've gotten some statements from some cremation workers over in china mm-hmm. and their information is completely contradictory to what they're saying that china is saying the fatality rate is and those people by the way who are speaking out we will show you them tonight uh oh my gosh. they're in jail or suddenly disappeared or Surprisingly, they caught the flu and died within a couple of days. Yeah, healthy middle-aged people in their 30s catching the flu and dying. Right. Again, that does Quickly. not match what yeah, they it tell doesn't us. Match. So the the official number today, yesterday it was 73,435 people uh, globally had this. Uh, today it's up to 75. In the death rate, there was a 20% jump overnight. Uh, 1,875 deaths. It's now 2,009 uh, overnight. However, that that doesn't fit. The real number, according to several experts, is probably closer to 350,000 that have been infected. I don't doubt it. We just don't know about it yet. Wow. So if you just compare that to SARS. Do you, I mean, SARS infected 8,000 people. And only killed around 700. Mm-hmm. But this was after a full 12 months of China trying to cover it up, saying, no, right. no problem, no problem here. And then finally, a doctor, similar to this case, came out and you know blew the whistle on it. That's 12 months. We've only had, this has only been a few months, and they've already dwarfed. I mean, it's over double the amount that was killed by SARS, and SARS had a higher fatality rate. See, this does not add up at all. So the, you were skeptical on that number, Stu. Why? You said 65 million people were going to die every year, so yes, I'm skeptical. Isn't that what the research shows? That's the... If that's what what 40, happens, I mean, 40 million people, they believe 40 million people mm-hmm. will get this worldwide. It's okay. currently an epidemic. An epidemic is regional. Mm-hmm. Um, a pandemic is all around the world. If this becomes a pandemic, they believe that 65 million, that's the low number will um, contract this flu in a 12-month period. Okay. Well, you, first of all, you said we'll die. So that's a big No, no, difference. no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That's a big... No, six, 40% of the population, sorry, 45% of the population will contract this flu in a year, 45%. Out of that 45%, that means 65 million humans will die. If 45% of the globe gets the... yes. Yes. So 40, if it becomes mm-hmm. a pandemic, right. they believe 40%, 40 to 60, I'm taking the low number, 40% of the globe, everybody living today, will get this this year, okay, <laughs> if it's a pandemic. Wow. I mean, that's a real, real escalation. Uh, the only thing they... that's, they're saying, the only thing that's going to stop this, they say there's the real hope is summer. Flu dies out. Oh, in the heat. Well, maybe global warming will save us after <laughs> yeah. all. That yeah. would be so satisfying. Right. <laughs> so, and that's that's the but that's the low number. Imagine if forty percent of the world has a flu that you don't that you have to just shut everybody down and make sure you stay home. 
if 40% of the world, what happens? And this is the real thing that I'm focusing on two things tonight. Um, not just the virus, but I wanted to look at what governments are doing and what big government of China really means. That's the number one killer. It's not the flu. It is the Chinese government, the communist government that is killing these people uh, because of their incompetence, their secrecy, and their policies. Um, But I also wanted to look at what does this mean for the economy? This should be the number one thing on Donald Trump's radar right now, because this may be the, the difference between winning and losing an election. This thing, it, it may calm down uh, in summer here in the United States, if it even gets here this year. But it doesn't have to escape China to affect us. India is already headed towards a recession uh, there's a report out today, several of these um, uh, car companies here in America and in the UK are struggling because they don't have parts. In fact, Land Rover just said they're taking parts out of China in suitcases right now. They only have parts to continue production for the next two weeks. So what's going to happen is not only are we not getting parts and things to be able to complete uh, products over here in America and us not getting products to the shelves here in America for us not to be able to go into Target or where Walmart and buy the stuff that we want. You're not going to be able to um, make them, sell them. And a bigger problem currently is that companies like Apple and even Ralph Lauren, Ralph Lauren, 75% of their stores now in Asia are closed and have been closed for weeks. That's a growth market for of all the way from Apple to Land Rover. That's their number one growth market as well. In fact, I think their number one market. So Land Rover, Jaguar, um, uh, Apple to clothing from like Ralph Lauren. Those companies are going to take significant hits. When they do, their stock prices start to fall. The stocks should have fallen already, and they haven't. And I think it's because everybody's keeping their fingers crossed, and there's going to be all kinds of money printing and pumping to keep the economies of the entire globe afloat. This is the number one, in my opinion, this is the number one concern. In the short term, in the long term, we're going to be fighting this for maybe forever. Tonight, uh, Jason, will you come back and let's get into some of the stats next next hour. All right. Uh, Tonight at nine o'clock, a special you do not want to miss. You can watch it on blaze TV dot com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn and you're going to save 10% now on your subscription. We'll see you tonight at 9 p.m. for the Wednesday night special. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and you're listening to the Glenn Beck program. If you like what you're hearing on this show, make sure you check out Pat Gray Unleashed. It's available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Now, before I get into some of the bad news about coronavirus, let me give you some good news. Uh, Hong Kong hotels are now telling it is 
Now's the time. If you've ever wanted to go to Hong Kong, now is the time. They will give you great rates on the hotels. Uh, they said they have plenty of occupancy. Uh, tourism is down. Don't worry about why. Don't even think about that. But they're offering great, great deals to anybody who wants to come and stay in Hong Kong. So roll the dice. Roll the dice. Go to Hong Kong. Another advantage of the uh, of the coronavirus is lobsters in America could be a lot cheaper this year. Lobsters are a big portion of the main lobsters and uh, Atlantic lobsters have all been being sold to China. Some reason people aren't eating out as much in China. Don't know what it is. <laughs> That's weird. That's weird. I have but, another positive. Yeah. Uh, energy use down 15% in coal because of this. In China. Which proves the thesis of Samuel L. Jackson in that uh, movie. Um, which one Kingsman? was it? Kingsman? Well, the Kingsman, where he wants to release like a virus that's going to kill right. all the people to save the environment. It would work. It would work. <laughs> it would all work. you have to do is it's kill a bunch already. of people. Yeah. You could kill them or keep them in their house. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some frightening things that we have found online, and, and Jason Buttrill is with us, and he is my chief researcher and, and staff writer, head, head of the writing uh, staff. And and I I asked him to take this on and tell me the difference between truth and fiction. And there's a lot of stuff we don't know, a lot of really important stuff we don't know. Um, but a lot of the videos that we're going to show tonight that are coming out of China are real and they're pretty terrifying when you see, when you see the, um, the guy, and I don't know if you heard this, Jason, but the guy who, you know, we have the video of going through the hospital and seeing all the bodies in the body bags. And he said, Hey, I need a hundred a day for our hospital. He's in jail now. That guy's amazing. So he he's absolutely amazing. He uh he made the most American sounding statement I've heard since I think 1776. I mean, with that, and that's another weird like a side effect from all this. Just all the dissidents that are coming out, and they're it's all coming. united. He was he was arrested. I think then let go mm-hmm. because of the out, outcry that said, "Hey, what are you doing? The party is out of their minds right now." So they were forced to let him go. Now he's been rearrested. But yeah, you'll see it. And quote he's rearrested for spreading false information. But these guys, <laughs> these whistleblowers, that's the same thing that the guy who first reported the coronavirus um, and just reported it not to the world, just tried to report it to his fellow workers at the hospital. Yeah. Saying, hey, if you know, if you're a hospital worker, there's something weird going on. There's this new strain of virus. I don't know what it is, but just wear protection if somebody's coming in with flu like symptoms. The Chinese Communist government arrested him, um, forced him to recant. They published it. Then he mysteriously gets sick himself uh, and dies pretty quickly. But before he dies, he's in an interview with, I think, the Hong Kong Free Times or something like that. And they have him. You can hear the respirator in the background and the heart monitors. And he's just talking about he was forced to to say those things this is really bad a lot of these videos that um, we're going to show you tonight have all been vetted and they're all legit and this has been a, a hard process 
because there's so much disinformation going out there. We've already debunked one video um, that's completely fake. I think you talked about it last week. Mm-hmm. That one's not. The rest of them, though, are absolutely real. And when you see these, it's it's all too painfully obvious that we're not getting the full story over And there. the problem is, is that the Chinese Communist government has hired th- between 1,500 and 3,000 journalists to only go online and write stories debunking the truth. Yeah. So writing the communist line. And so you don't know. You have no idea what's true and what's not. And it's the worst case scenario. And they're not only doing that. They're, they're writing those stories, but they're also like very creatively writing these stories to get people in line. So all of their state-run media outlets are writing these stories saying, look all these great things we're doing. And that's how it's framed. Look all the, how all these great things we're doing to protect you. But I guarantee you that's not what they're meant for. They're meant to say, shut up, know your place, and get in line. We'll show you. It's insane. We'll show you pictures that they are proud of, the video, proud of, of the harassment by drones. Drones are now flying all over the cities in China, and they are coming in low, and they will say, they affectionately call them auntie or uncle, um, and they'll say, Auntie, what are you doing on the streets without a mask? And they'll kind of be like, oh, <laughs> this is kind of funny. And it, it comes down right at him and says, you need to go home now. Don't leave your home again. You need to be wearing a mask. And the, the you can see it in the eyes of the Chinese. They're kind of like, oh, this is kind of funny, but it's weird. Am I in trouble? And they always end with, we're watching you. We're watching you. We're watching you. I mean, it's terrifying. The, the, the one says, you, you broke the law and are, are outside of your house. Now a drone will follow you. And straight up, it follows this follows person the all entire way, way. It is insane. Yeah, and they're doing it kind of like when, when they were being released in China, they're kind of almost like have, did you notice this? Like the Benny Hill music behind it. Yeah, yeah. And they speed them up as they're walking home to make it kind of funny and not spooky. It's really bizarre. It's really bizarre. So you'll see that uh, tonight because we're, we're looking at what China is doing as a big state. They are, they, I mean, how do you keep basically almost the eastern seaboard in their homes. How would the United States government say, hey, by the way, everything, f- really everything from Syracuse uh, down to Atlanta and to the ocean, everybody stay in their home. How? How? What? You would have to rewrite laws. Yeah. Um, every, I mean, oh, yeah. They don't have to rewrite laws. They already have them. But to keep those people in the street, remember, you're let out, what, every two days? One person's let out to go shopping, and that I don't think is true anymore. I didn't see that. Yeah. It was like for at the beginning, you could go out to get some food, but now there is no food. There are no stores open. Nothing is working. There's no transit. There's no grocery stores. Nothing. People are literally trapped in their homes, dying in their homes. Are we going to show the video of the guy... Uh, who is being locked into his into his house on yes. the outside? And they're like, "It's for your own good," and he's like, "Don't lock me in here. I don't have any. That's for your own good." <laughs> Not only locking, but actually placing a steel bar um, on the door just to double make sure that he can't get out. Some of the other videos where they're going in and there's like it's 
it reminds me of I don't know like a you know World War Two you know like Nazi t- movie where they're going in and pulling Jews out of their homes. Mm. They're going into like some of these homes where they suspect they suspect people might have a case. And we've got a video of this one guy that filmed across the street, and they're going. The police kick the door in. They go in, grab a couple out, forcibly separate them, and they're trying to fight the police off. They forcibly separate them, throw them in the back of two vans, and they both take off in different directions. Mm. It's insane. Is the are the welding videos real? Where they've been welding people's doors shut? I've seen. I've seen I haven't some seen of those. That. Have I haven't seen, seen that. that. No, I haven't seen that. I, I, it's funny because like the it, way it would fit. I don't know if they are, but yeah. it would fit. The way they're dealing with this in the media is so strange too. I heard uh, someone say the other day, like, "This is is this the uh, is this China's Chernobyl?" And then the person's like, well, it's, I mean, obviously not to that scale, but uh, this is Nobody died in Chernobyl. Yeah, it was 59 people died in Chernobyl. Yeah, but this I mean, a- the after effects, when, mm-hmm. because of their denial, yeah. nobody, di- nobody died. The, nobody in the town died from the after effects. Anybody was who was the workers, there yeah. and the workers. And that was part of their denial. And it, look, obviously well, Chernobyl was serious, maybe. but like uh, this looks, this has the potential to be much, much worse. They were talking about it as being the scale less than chernobyl this is much greater right i mean if if we find out that they knew for weeks and weeks it didn't do anything they about did. this they just, did they i mean did. that's what everyone seems to be reporting now and it's largely because what because the way their society is structured right he is the ultimate competent man at the top that always makes the right decisions that's what that whistleblower said he said mm-hmm. that i he was like in that group text he was like hey i don't know why they're not talking about this because they're they're studying some of these cases in military hospitals mm-hmm. and they're dying and they're not saying hey yeah this is this is a public health problem so we already know so let me give you the stats that we mm-hmm. we do know they say today that it is 75,195. That's up about 2,000 overnight. Can the, I, these can, are the people who are, that are known to be infected. When I, when, when I was doing the stats, when I wrote this last week, it was 45,000. Correct. That, I just had to change it. That's yeah. how it, over 30,000 in yeah. just seven days. Doubled. Doubled in size. Yeah. Uh, so it's at 75,000. However, we don't believe that that number is anywhere close to accurate. No. Most um, uh, most people who are willing to speculate, and I've got a story about Michael Bloomberg folding to China. You can't, you can't trust our own press here uh, because they are in bed with China doing business. And so they want access to... And they will not question and give you the truth because they'll lose all access. And it's, un- it's just absolutely unbelievable and unreasonable for them not to at least say at the top of their broadcast, you know, we at uh, Bloomberg News have uh, major outlets in China and we have a deal with the Chinese government. We're reporting what we can in accordance to the Chinese government. That's all you have to say. Let us know you're you're not willing to say that because you don't want to lose your place in China. But you have to tell people that when lives are at stake. Wait till you hear the story about Bloomberg News. It's incredible. But make no mistake, they're all doing it. They're all doing it. So anybody who will go on the record, they they believe that the actual number of infected now is over 350,000. I find that number 
um, curious even at that level only because you're putting 75 million people locking them in their homes. 75 million people. That's, you know, take, take California and just say California is completely quarantined. Everybody stay in their house. That's, would we do that for this? It, it would, it certainly wouldn't be for something you shouldn't worry about. We'll give you the reasons why you should worry about it, but it's not necessarily that it's so fatal. Most seasonal flu viruses have a case fatality rate of less than one in a thousand people. So one in a thousand people, less than one in a thousand people will die because of the regular seasonal flu in China. That number is 20 now with this. That's way different than SARS. SARS was more like 100, I think. Uh, wasn't it? Wasn't it 10%? Uh, SARS was... SARS uh, was... It was like... Uh, 8 or 10. Like 15, uh, yeah, it was like 15 yeah. to 18%. Okay, so... It was more deadly. Uh, yeah, much more deadly. But this is still over less than 1% regular flu. This is 20 people in china now there are some conditions that change that outside of china we'll go into that here in just a second by the way the special tonight where we're doing our best to give you all of the things that we know um in a concise way coming up tonight nine o'clock only on blaze tv it's the wednesday night special if you watch it live you can watch it on blaze tv.com slash glenn um, you can watch it live at nine o'clock. Also, that's where you'll get it on demand. If you have a friend that doesn't have blaze TV, uh, you can tell them to watch it on the blaze YouTube, but it will only be live there. So once it's over, it's over on YouTube. You can only watch it on demand at blaze tv.com slash Glenn subscribe today. Your subscription helps us do these specials. Uh, use the promo code Glenn and save 10%. All right. Uh, okay. So, the coronavirus is about in China is about as deadly as the Spanish flu of 1918. Spanish flu was a pandemic. This is an epidemic. It's regional at this point. Uh, if it becomes a pandemic and spreads across the globe, they say anywhere from the lowest I've heard is 30%. The highest I've heard is 60% of the globe of the entire population will get this. Out of that, 2% of the people will die if it holds true to what's happening in China. Um, I'm not sure that it will. The death rate is lower outside of China for several reasons. But that means at 40%, that means 65 million people will die. That's significant. And by the way, until we find a vaccine, you'll have to have like a flu shot for this every year now. We're still battling the flu. Much of the flu that we battle every single year is still a strain of the 1918 Spanish flu. So this flu is going to be around for a while. They believe now it's, it will travel in saliva through water in the eyes, therefore close contact, kissing, sharing cutlery, you know, Hey, can I have a bite? Nope. COVID-19. Um, you, you know, using any kind of utensils, make sure you wash your hands and all of that stuff. That all is uh, in play. This also, however, can be spread third hand. So you get the virus, 
you don't know you have the virus for as long as 24 days. They say 14, but it could be as long as 24 days you have it and it's growing in you and you don't know. And in those 14 to 24 days, you can be infecting others. That's what makes this so troublesome. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn. And if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Hi, it's Glenn. If you're a subscriber to the podcast, can you do us a favor and rate us on iTunes? If you're not a subscriber, become one today and listen on your own time. You can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. Dr. Carlin Borisenko. She is an organizational psychologist. uh, And she is somebody that I read, I think, the entire medium piece on the air. I've never done that. They tend to be really long. Uh, But I thought every word of what she wrote was important. She wrote a piece after attending a Trump rally. I realized Democrats are not ready for 2020. Their website is zenworkplace.com. May I call you uh, Carlin? Yes, absolutely. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. I've had a bit of a week over here, Glenn. I'm not going to lie. I bet you have. I bet you have. I first of all, thank you for coming on. I would imagine this is the last place you ever thought you would be on. Oh, never in a million years did I think that this would happen. <laughs> right, right. Um, you are a Democrat, um, and or you were, you were a Democrat. You're an independent now, and it's my. We had an argument back and forth. It's my understanding that you are still going to be voting for a Democrat or possibly voting. You're not. You haven't changed to a Trump supporter or, or, or voter, right? Well, I really don't know. I mean, I frankly wow. don't know who my options are in the general election. And I think that uh, there are absolutely some some uh, pretty high profile contenders that I will not vote for under any circumstances. So we'll see. So tell the story for anybody who didn't read. Tell your story. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I had been going on this journey for the past, you know, six months or so where I was really starting to feel very uncomfortable in an echo chamber that I had created for myself. And I started listening to just different conservative voices. And they kind of all culminated when I decided to go to the Trump rally in Manchester, New Hampshire last week. I thought if there's anything, I, I can't think of anything bigger I could do to break out of my very liberal echo chamber. And everyone that I talked to about this idea was genuinely concerned for my safety. And that includes people on the left and the right. They were both really concerned that I was going to be physically harmed at this rally, Mm. either by the supporters or by Antifa or whoever. But I decided to go anyway. And I discovered that, you know, hey, shocker, they're just average, normal people that are really, really nice and welcoming. And And so I wrote about it. (laughs) And you said at one point you thought those people were despicable and even deplorables. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I definitely um, went through a phase probably for about a year and a half where I really thought that, you know, anyone who supported President Trump was at best supporting racism and at worst downright racist themselves. Yeah. Wow. Um, And where did that come from? I was watching a lot of MSNBC. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, And then why did you become uncomfortable? 
Well, I, I'm a knitter and in the knitting community, and I know this sounds bizarre, but it is a hyper political um, community at the moment where they have these kind of roving gangs of social justice warriors just attacking people and mobbing them indiscriminately. And hey, when hey, I stop, 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 stop. You're asking me to process way too much. First of all, oh, I know. <laughs> most people didn't even know that there was a knitting, an online knitting community. Uh, and now I'm seeing knitters and roving gangs of social. Something just doesn't fit here. It's not what I expect. Well, listen, I understand the feeling because I didn't expect it either. Right. <laughs> um, but I started seeing this happen just over and over and over again. And at some point I started speaking up within the knitting community and saying, guys, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. And then they came after me. And at that point, and I, I didn't get it as badly as a lot of people did. But um, at some point I just said, I, I cannot align myself with these people politically. It's just it's wrong what they're doing. You talked about how one person was bullied so bad online that they they became suicidal. Yeah. Yeah. What 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 are the what were the arguments about? Um, so in his case in particular, he started speaking up when the mobbings first started happening. And I swear I'm not making this up. All he did was post a poem on Instagram asking for kindness and asking for people to just see each other as human beings. And he was mobbed by thousands and thousands of people. And when he and he eventually did go into the hospital and then his husband posted on Instagram that, you know, please stop the hate. He's in the hospital. And it just got worse and kept escalating after that. So it was really it was really too bad. But thankfully, he's he seemed to have really rebounded and now is getting a lot of support from people like me. So who are these people that are in these roving mobs? They're just they're people on the very far left that um, anytime something sticks out to them that is outside of their ideology, they try to pressure people into kind of bending the knee and and issuing these massive apologies and, you know, pointing out all the areas where they are wrong in their lives and transphobic and homophobic and fatphobic and all these things. And it's just they're they're I mean, to be blunt, I think they're kind of just horrible, miserable people that want to make other people miserable as well. <laughs> Boy, you're starting to sound like a conservative. Um, I know. Because, uh, I mean, this is this is the thing that really we've been warning about. There's there's disagreements on things um, that we can disagreements on policies we can go on. But when you're trying to shut people up and you do it through fear and intimidation, it's it's a very um, foreign kind of concept to America. Um, that's not who we were. That's not what made us great. That's not what made us big. And anyone who's doing it on any side is is really engaging in some really dangerous stuff because it always ends the same way. I, I totally agree. And when people started telling me to shut up specifically, that was when I started really taking a look at it. Because for me, you know, expression is a gift that we've all been given. And, and if you want to change people's minds, you have to do it through conversation, not through intimidation. So you said the day you went to the Trump rally, MSNBC was there. And so you yeah. you wanted to... Uh... Uh, you, you wanted to go among some familiar territory first. So you went and uh, what was your experience there that morning? Well, I was wearing a red hat that looks kind of like a Trump hat that says make speech free again. It's my little protest against cancel culture. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's always a conversation starter and people struck up a conversation. And I said, oh, I'm thinking about going over to the Trump rally. And they were like, don't do it. 
they're going to hurt you. They're going to harass you. And one woman even offered me her pepper spray. And I just said, I, you know, I'm, I think I'm going to be fine. It's going to be okay. So what was the, what were you, what were your thoughts? Because I'm sure these people were being genuine. Yes. So what were your thoughts on, on that? Especially somebody of your profession that you look and say, these people genuinely care about my safety. They're really warning me. And it's almost unhinged from reality. Well, yeah. And I think that, um, you know, when when literally every single person around you is in fear of your safety, it's really hard not to question and say, what are they seeing that I don't see? But it's it's also an indication that I knew I had to do it at that point because I knew I had to see for myself what was going on. So you wrote something interesting in your article about your hat on how it is viewed by both sides. I, I can't tell you how, how I, do you know who Jonathan Hyde is? I do. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Jonathan did kind of the same thing that, uh, that you did. And, um, and he, he told me that he actually started listening to me and he said, I, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking one direction. And he said, I realize you speak about things and you don't necessarily use the same terminology that all the other conservatives use. And he said, so it started to kind of crack my mind open a bit. And I'm like, well, now, wait a minute. How does this make sense? Um, and it's the same experience that you've went through by listening to other conservative friends and other voices. Um, and I have experienced it myself where you can go into a room and just not by changing what you say, just by changing how you frame it, mm-hmm. the, the entire thing changes and y- you can make all kinds of progress with people. And it's funny because we're really, I think the average person is generally fighting for the same thing. And yeah. you just don't know it. And you think the mm-hmm. other side is totally against it. Explain your hat. Well, I mean, my hat for me is just um, I, I got so tired of people trying to cancel one another and starting fights with one another. And so it was just my small little nod that um, I, I'm, you know, the First Amendment for me is one of my core values. I yeah. so strongly believe in freedom of speech. It's so incredibly important. And so that's the message I was really trying to articulate with it. But I completely agree with everything you just said, too. And it reminds me of the phrase, what resists persists. When we fight aggressively against something, we just make the problem bigger. And Mm. that to me is a reflection of what's going on right now in that, you know, especially and I, I, you know, my my liberal friends might disagree with me, but I see it coming more from the left than the right, where they're fighting so aggressively and they don't understand that they're just making the problem bigger. Carlin, what is it that you're looking for in a candidate? I'm assuming that you're still liberal. I mean, well, let me ask you. I think we used to think that liberals um, were not necessarily big government. This is in the early 20th century. They were all about the the rights of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Are you that kind of liberal? Are you a progressive liberal? What What kind of liberal are you? 
Yeah, I'm the first kind. I, I very much okay. believe in um, our fundamental liberties. I tend to be actually pretty centrist with some libertarian uh, leanings yeah. politically. And I guess I'm just looking for a candidate that's that's going to make common sense solutions and that's going to compromise. And that's really the biggest thing for me right now. So do you see anybody that the left is offering up? Tell me your ideas of the candidates, why you would or wouldn't vote for. Oh, gosh. So I think the ones that I would consider voting for, um, you know, I I came to Tulsi Gabbard late, and I obviously don't think she has a shot at the nomination. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that what the left has done to her has just been atrocious in terms of the character assassination. Be careful. Um, You're starting to sound like the Glenn Beck program. I just want you to know (laughs) you're you're way over your head here. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No one is more surprised at this than me, Glenn. I'll tell you what. Um, so I, I, I voted for Pete Buttigieg in the New Hampshire primary. Now, I voted for him mostly because I came to know him very early on in the campaign. Mm-hmm. I think he's pandering way too much for me lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I voted for Bernie in 2016 in the primary. Wow. I do not believe I would vote for Bernie again now because I think he's gone way too left. And I think his supporters just terrify me. And I think the, the thing with Bernie and who and Bernie's who I ultimately think will probably be the nominee is then it's really a question of do I do I want to go towards socialism or do I want to go towards capitalism? And I'm a pretty big fan of capitalism. Right. So, you know, um, so, so and yeah, what I are mean, your thoughts? What are your thoughts on? on Trump now and what did you what did you walk away feeling um I you know I I think that Trump there are things about Trump I don't like I definitely do not agree with some of his policies but Mm -hmm. I also I love what he's doing with the economy the Mm -hmm. economy is in a really good spot I'm an organizational psychologist I love seeing unemployment low that means people have jobs people have options right um and I frankly, I like some of the actions that he's taken in terms of um, in being more aggressive towards, you know, Soleimani and all these things. So I'm not opposed to Trump necessarily. I also just think he's just a really funny guy. And I think that you have to put Trump in the context of being just this blustery New Yorker and not take him so seriously with every single thing that he says. So we were just talking about that today. The difference between Michael Bloomberg and Donald Trump is Donald Trump is said to be mean all the time. Sometimes he can be, but most of the times he's funny. Uh, he's got a sense of humor making fun of Michael Bloomberg and his shortness, but Michael Bloomberg does not have a sense of humor. You know, when he says things, I think he means them. Uh, where Donald Trump, you kind of have to, it's, it's weird because some of the things he says you have to take for, you know, for reality and others you have to just blow off in that. He's just trying, he's just stirring the pot. That's all he's right. doing. He's trolling. And yes. like, I love a good troll. Like yeah. you have to like, let yourself laugh at these things. But listen, if Bloomberg gets the nomination and especially if he brings Hillary with him, I swear I will vote for Trump purely out of spite. <laughs> wow. Wow. So the question I really wanted to ask you, are there other people like you that are starting to wake up to the Democratic position of just playing footsie with really dangerous people. I think there are people who are starting to wake up. It's definitely hard. I've gotten so, I mean, probably like thousands of messages over my story of people saying, I wish my liberal friends and family would read this, and I tried to give it to them, and they just won't. Um, I think the people, you know, in, in small numbers are starting to wake up, but I really do think that November is going to be a giant wake-up call, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Wow. Thank you very much. Um, I so respect you. Um even though I'm sure we differ on a ton of things, 
I really respect the courage uh, of anyone who thinks out of the box and dare go against their own side uh, for what they believe in. And I wish you all the luck um, that uh, I could possibly wish you. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Glenn. You bet. Dr. Carlin Borisenko. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.